Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. One hundred and sixty-two games in the books, and now it's playoff time. Good morning, welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host Raymond Parts the Third, better known as RP3. I'm joined in the illustrious game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. Now, I know what many of you are asking. RP3, has Hannah bought two candy bars from you, from your daughter's fundraiser, the almond and the caramel, and smashed them together to try the candy bar sandwich that Moses Campos recommended yesterday on the show? The answer is unfortunately no, but that could happen today. That could happen today. She's shaking her head no at me because Hannah is secretly a 75-year-old man who's crotchety and does not like doing things. Not a big trying new things person she is. I'm just broke. I'm broke (laughs) as a joke. Oh, that moving, huh? Yeah, that's not a cheap yeah. endeavor. No, yeah, you know, the moving and the, you know, no, no. car problems. It's, it's going great. I just dropped like $2,500 yesterday between rent and my car repairs. Adulting. Isn't it awesome? I just want to go hide in the hole for like a month. <laughs> I'll come back later. This is what adulting is. Yay! We do have a great show lined up for you, even though Hannah's not going to try the candy bar sandwich. Not today. Maybe I'll be generous. Maybe I'll buy you the two candy bars and have you try it. I'm intrigued. Maybe I'll try it as well. Huh? We could try it. Try it together. Lee Sterling will join us. Interesting weekend in college football. We know about the top 25 matchup for LSU versus Tennessee. But there's some other intriguing games this weekend, including Alabama A&M. Oh, Jimbo Fisher. Lee Sterling will give us his thoughts and those betting lines on that action and the Saints-Seahawks game as well. That'll be coming up at 7.30 at 8 o'clock. Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. We'll come on. We'll talk New Orleans Saints. Can these Saints turn things around? Did he see enough improvement from them in the loss to the Vikings in London to believe that they can turn around and beat a, let's be honest, an improved Seattle Seahawks team? Maybe Russell Wilson wasn't the guy driving that team. 
Just saying. Something to think about. That'll be at 8 o'clock. And at 8.30, our friend from Saturday Down South, Connor O'Gara, will be joining us. We'll preview the weekend of college football action. Get his thoughts on what's going on. What about Bama? What about LSU? What about Georgia sleepwalking two weeks in a row? And the Red River rivalry, or what I still call the Red River shootout, I also still call the Georgia-Florida game the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. And people can tell me that's not what it's called anymore, and I don't care. Both of those changed for PR reasons. Okie dokie. But Texas-Oklahoma is a battle of unranked teams and two teams that are struggling in the Big 12, which is being ran now by the Kansas schools? What? We'll talk all things college football with Connor. So those are our three guests. Obviously, plenty of time for you to get your phone calls in. We know, you know, we love to hear from you. Game hotline is always open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we got to talk a little baseball start off today's show. It was Fan Appreciation Day at Minute Maid Park. You walked through the turnstile, and everyone, or at least when we got there, because we got there early enough, You got yourself a 2021 American League Champions replica ring. Did I make Kevin Foote take his out and put it on and show it off? Yes. Did I share that photo on social media? Sure did. Is it funny? Yes. Great environment day baseball game. It's 162. So, you know, Jose Altuve doesn't get to play. They went in Saddam. Tucker, he had one at bat, played one inning in the field. Then he took a curtain call. They brought him out. But Bregman played the whole game. Alvarez played the whole game. So, and Framer Valdez went five innings. No hits. I mean, uh, no runs. Five scoreless innings. Struck out ten. Just went out there and said, have some, have some, have some, have some. And the Philly batters were like, what? I don't know what to do with this. But it was a great environment. It was a good crowd for an afternoon baseball game. And it's always really cool. I'd never been to a game 162, last game of the season. Never been to one. I was surprised by how many people were there. And it was Fan Appreciation Day. So, in between every inning, they were giving away prizes to entire rows or sections of the ballpark. Hey, who wants gift certificates to Landry's? Done. (laughs) Who wants a bobblehead? Everyone in that section? Done. We didn't get anything. I mean, we got our little replica rings, which was nice. So, it was myself. Kevin Foote, Ben Love, and Blaine Viator. We had a good time. It was nice. For the Astros, I liked their approach. I expected more players to be taken out, to be perfectly frank with you. 
I thought, okay, we're going to see maybe an inning or two from Tucker, Bregman, and Alvarez. Jeremy Pena had the day off. Jose Altuve had the day off. They're going to let some of the other guys get some run. But that wasn't the case. Alvarez stayed in there the whole time. Until very late. I think the last inning, last two innings, they finally pulled Alvarez. But they, he played the majority of the game. Alex Bregman played a majority of the game. And they got their relievers, got a lot of run. After they got from Framer, they decided to hand it over. Stanek came in. He set a new record for ERA for a relief pitcher in Astros history. Team's really good. And the Phillies, they didn't, you know, they didn't play Bryce Harper and a couple other guys. But the difference between the Phillies, who are a wild card team in the NL, and the Astros is pretty enormous. Like, you can just tell. The Astros feel like they're built for a run. Another run. Now, during this run that they've had of five straight ALCS appearances, three World Series trips, and one World Series victory, the World Series trips have been every other year, 17, 19, 21. Kind of feels almost like what San Francisco did about a decade or so ago when they were winning World Series championships every other year. But they weren't getting to NLCSs in between. But this year, when you look at it, you look at how this team is built, there are going to be some concerns, and you'll hear it from Footsie about the lineup. And they're not misplaced because there are holes in the lineup. But you look at the pitching staff, Verlander's an 18-game winner, going to win the Cy Young. Fermer Valdez is a 17-game winner. He's your number two. Lance McCullers Jr. is going to be your number three. Christian Javier is going to be your number four. He's been pitching lights out, some of the best of his career. You're not even going to be using Jose Arquiti or Luis Garcia for the division series. They're not even going to have a spot. They're not more than likely not going to be put on the roster. And then you got Presley, who is a stud closer. Hunter Brown, the rookie, who's come up, he's been dominant. He's going to eat up innings. Stanek has pitched the best season of his career. The pitching is there. Are the Astros going to be able to overcome the holes in the lineup? Because Altuve is his best since he's been 2017 when he won the MVP. Bregman finally turned things around essentially after the birth of his kid. All of a sudden, it it changed. Alvarez, when healthy, when he started off the season, he looked like he was going to be the MVP. Now, he's turned it around a little bit. But Yuli Gurriel is not the same player he was a year ago. You don't have Michael Brantley Jr. because of the injury. He can't play. Kyle Tucker is great. He's an all-star, almost a 30-30 guy. Jeremy Pena came on late, but you can't have outs from 7, 8, 9. Not anymore. 
So maybe you leave Jeremy Pena down at the bottom of the lineup to allow yourself the opportunity to get guys on the base paths. So they have a few holes in the lineup. But this team looks loaded to me. And the American League is is not nearly as tough as the National League. I mean, the National League has three 100-win teams. Three. The American League has two. And you look at the National League, Dodgers, the best record in baseball, Braves, your defending World Series champions. Mets are a 100-game winner. St. Louis is a team that scares the Dickens out of a lot of people, and you should. I don't know if they have the pitching. St. Louis, but you got Goldschmidt, and you got Albert Pujols has found the fountain of youth. It's going to be awesome. But, man, you got to like the Astros' chances. You just do. Now, they'll play the winner of Mariners Blue Jays wild card series Toronto you talk to a lot of Astro fans the team they are they're more scared of than anyone Blue Jays old Springer Dinger their old former all-star outfielder leadoff man plays for them and the Blue Jays got the bats Toronto doesn't have the pitching so, once again, you get to October, it's never easy. It's never, ever easy. But you got to like the Astros' chances to come out of the American League. The team to watch for me, Guardians, formerly known as the Indians. They just, I don't know, there's something about them. Veteran skipper, they got some pitching, they got a scrappy lineup. They played really well in the second half of the season. They're not going to be intimidated by anybody. Mm, it's a team to look out for. We'll talk more about the playoffs and yesterday's win number 162, or game 162, a win in game 162, rather, for the Houston Astros. That's coming up next. And we'll unveil our poll question of the day. That's all coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Major League Baseball is back. And it's time for a tradition like none other. Old school baseball guys arguing with the analytical crowd on why RBI should still be relevant. Show us that million dollar arm because I got to... Oh, I got a good idea about that five-cent head of yours. No, but seriously, what the heck is war? Yeah. What? Who comes up with this stuff? You're killing me, Smalls. Now, back to more baseball talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Two to Veerlin. Swing and a miss. Got him on a changeup, and that is the ball game, and that is the Astros' 2022 regular season. They defeat the Philadelphia Phillies today by a final of three to two, as the Astros finish 2022 with a record of 106 and 56, the second best record in Astros history. 
106 wins. That's a lot. <laughs> Just saying. That is a ton. Astros winners, they will now get a breather as they won't get back into action until the 11th. That's right. They're going to get about a week off. They'll play on Tuesday the 11th. That'll be the opening of the American League Division Series round. The wild cards will begin this weekend. Not a great turnaround if you're playing in the wild card round. <laughs> hey, regular season's over. You're still playing. You have no rest. You get one day, and that's it. One day for travel, and get back to it. But this Astros team is loaded with the pitching. Best pitching staff of any of the teams in the playoffs. The hitting does have a few holes in it. The lineup does. But they're still really, really good. They just are. You know, it's going to hurt him not having Michael Brantley Jr., that veteran bat. Yuli Gurriel is not what he once was, so that hurts. Whoever's playing center field struggles to hit the ball. It doesn't matter who they have out there. So they have some spots where you go, eh. And they do go through these stretches, the Strohs do, where they'll score a ton of runs and then go two days without scoring barely any. You can get away with that in the regular season. If it's in the postseason, you're going to find yourself being eliminated. But on the same hand, they have all these guys that have played in three World Series that are on the roster, that understand what playoff baseball is. Understand Verlander's been there, done that on the bump. Altuve, Bregman, Yuli, they've been through all this. They understand this. They understand the pressures. That matters too. It just does. Dusty Baker looking to get that elusive World Series championship. Maybe this is the last year that he has the opportunity to do so. And he talked about yesterday about the joy of wrapping up, finishing the regular season with a win. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, um, hey, man, we're, we're going to the postseason. I mean, uh, the season's official season's over. The long road, a lot of work, but a lot of uh, satisfaction at the end there. And uh, we had some guys that had some outstanding years. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to, you know, the next couple of weeks. A couple of those guys that have had an outstanding year are particular some of the pitchers. And they have a tremendous one-two punch with Justin Verlander and Framer Valdez. Valdez yesterday, five innings, picks up the win, 10 strikeouts. Guy was phenomenal. Has been all year, set the new Major League Baseball record for quality starts in a row. And Dusty talked about having that one-two punch with the rotation. Well, I mean, that was, I mean, he pitched great all year. And uh, we were just hoping that, you know, he'd get that 17th win today. You know, it looked a little... Uh, shaky at the end there, but you know we got out of it. Uh, uh, he only had probably a couple bad starts all year long. I mean that he was as consistent as almost anybody in the league, and for him to win 17 and for JV to win 18, uh, I mean that's a pretty good one-two punch. And uh, 
uh, you know, proud of these guys, how they've uh, worked. And like I always say, they, you know, they don't complain, but they come uh, to play and they play hard. I just, you know, thank God that we come out of this healthy. And for the most part, they are, right? Most part, they are healthy. And another guy that's had a great year was the man with the great head of lettuce, relief pitcher Stanek, who yesterday came in, pitched a great inning, got pulled, and has the record now, the new record, for lowest ERA in a season by an Astros relief pitcher ever. And Dusty talked about that young man. Well, I mean, he had an outstanding season. And, uh, you know, we got Fram- you know, when we got <clears throat> Stanek, you know, he had to make the team and uh, a couple of years ago. And so uh, he's, you know, he made the team. He's getting better and better and better and uh, is getting more and more confident. And, uh, you know, that's quite an ERA, you know, to have. That means that you didn't have, you know, any bad outings. You know, uh, you know, he had a couple gave up some hits, uh, but uh, boy, that's a, a, you know, that's a remarkable feat that he just accomplished. They got the pitching, and they got veterans in the lineup. They got a veteran skipper. Can they get through? Remember, this is a team that lost to the Braves last year in the World Series without Justin Verlander. Think about that for a second. They didn't have JV last year. And they still nearly won a World Series. That window's still open for Houston because of the guys they have, the core guys they have. It sure does feel like they're gearing up for another World Series run. Wild card starts this weekend, both in the AL and the NL. And that leads us to our poll question of the day. Which Major League Baseball wildcard matchup is the most exciting? You know, many of you Astro fans, hey, your team's not playing in the wild card. If you're an Atlanta Brave fan, like yours truly, guess what? Your team's not playing in the wild card. But there are intriguing matchups. So which one is the most exciting? Is it Tampa Bay taking on Cleveland? Tampa Bay struggled. Like they backed into the wild card. They played terrible the last two weeks of the season. Cleveland looks like a team that could upset things in the American League. Is it Rays at Guardians? Is it the Phillies who struggled a little bit down the stretch as well, taking on a team that has, oddly enough, been under the radar all season long? That's the St. Louis Cardinals. That's going to be a heck of a series of St. Louis gets through and takes on Atlanta. Is it Phillies Cardinals? Is it the fighting five nameses? The Seattle Mariners in the postseason for the first time since 2001, taking on the Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto has the bats. Don't know about the pitching. Or is it the San Diego Padres? All the talent in the world, pitching rotations not that deep, and they're kind of a mess. They, they just are. Padres are messy. They're taking on the Mets. How do the Mets bounce back after 
giving the division away to the Braves? Can New York dust itself off and eliminate the Padres? So those are your four wild card matchups that all begin on Friday. Which one of those are you the most excited to see? What's the one that kind of gets your attention, so to speak? And right now, leading the vote, 60% say Mariners at Blue Jays. Five names as people is out in full force on the poll question this morning. 20% say Phillies at Cardinals. 13% say Padres at Mets. And 7% say Rays at Guardians. Ton on Twitter says M's and J's is going to be fire. And he used three fire emojis. So that means it's really going to be on fire. I'm being told this is correct with the emojis. Understood. John Paul KJ Daddy says, it is safe to say I'm a slight backseat fan of the baseball team from Seattle. King Griffey Jr. was one of a kind. He was. May have been the most natural baseball player I've seen in my lifetime. Injuries started hobbling down, and the back end of his career wasn't great, but the first 10 years of Griffey's career, whew, man. Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie, says, I'm odd out here, but I'm intrigued by Rays, Indians, or Guardians. Neither were talked about as much. Both had decent seasons. Both can beat some big names. Can't wait to see how it hashes out. Keep those votes coming and keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter for our poll question of the day, which Major League Baseball wildcard matchup is the most exciting for you? And we'll update the poll question throughout today's show. We got to take a brief timeout. When we return, we're going to talk Saints. They're gearing up for the Seahawks. Can they get things back on track we'll hear from Alvin Kamara a man who needs to play and needs to play well for this team to be able to win on Sunday that's coming up next right here on the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros biggest thing is we trying to start faster because I know everybody can see that we at least the offense starts off kind of slow and I mean, we see it and it's nothing that you know, we want to go out and do or try to do. But I think that's a big emphasis this week. And I know we see it, coaches see it, but trying to start faster and that's with penalties or that's just, you know, quick three and outs, just things like that. So just keeping that in the back of our mind, going out there, just start fast. That's Marquez Calloway talking about the offense. And look, they're not starting fast. That's a big problem. It's a big problem why the Saints are one and three. They don't start fast. Offense doesn't get into a rhythm. It doesn't happen until late in games when it's panic time and all of a sudden a light bulb goes off for them. Part of this is preparation. Part of this is the way the game is called on offense. Part of this is just the guys themselves. They're not stepping up. They're not playing to their potential. They're dropping passes. They're not running their routes right. I mean, the one guy that you could look to on offense and say that guy has been an absolute stud all four games is Chris Olave, the rookie out of Ohio State. Maybe Jarvis Landry too, but Jar Jarvis got banged up. They have way too much talent to be this slow and sluggish on offense. Offensive line hasn't played great. That's part of it. The quarterback play has been inconsistent. But they got to start fast, man. You got to help out your defense. 
if if the Saints can even change it where they can, I don't know, let's be conservative here. Let's say New Orleans can score 17 points in a first half. They'd be 4-0. 17 points in the modern NFL in one half of football is not a lot. Just isn't. Heck, take down 17. If they could just score a touchdown a quarter, make it 14 points, they're 4-0. If they could just do that in the first half of ball games, They do that, they can get back into this thing. They can get back to being 500. They can get back to being a team that could possibly win the division or be a wildcard team. You just got to put some points up on the board Double-digit points on the board in the first half of football. It's really kind of that simple. Helping them get there is going to be Alvin Kamara, who missed last week's game because of injury. Looks like he's going to play this week. You love AK. I love AK. They're not getting him the ball enough. That's the that's problem number one. And what I mean by that is, look, Alvin Kamara is not a downhill runner. He's not Latavius Murray. He's not Adrian Peterson. Never has been, never will be. He's an explosive playmaker. He can run between the tackles, and sometimes he can be effective running between the tackles. But he's open space guy. Get the ball to him in open space and let him work his magic. The problem is, is that they have been absolutely awful getting him the ball in space. He's not part of the screen game. I mean, when Sean Payton had him, this was a guy that you targeted. He was your most reliable wide receiver sometimes. Got to use him. If they're lining up, if, if, if they're bottling you up in the run game, well, you use the screen game as a way of essentially having a run game. That's what, the, that's what the screen game can do for you. Short passing can replace your run game. Alvin Kamara is the most talented offensive player they have on the field. Even more so than Michael Thomas. You got to get him the ball. You have to get him involved. You do that, guess what? You're going to score points. That's probably one of the most maddening things of watching this Saints team so far this season is their inability to get 41 going. Period. And Kamara is now a veteran, a guy they look to, and... He was asked yesterday while speaking to the media about their record, about being one and three, about the slow start. And he bold faced came out and said, you know what? No one has beaten us yet. And just speaking more specifically to the offense, I think when we've been good, we've limited turnovers. We've limited um, penalties. We haven't shot ourselves in the foot. So, I mean, that's kind of like what the trend has been. We've been kind of killing ourselves, you know, um, it's not really I don't I don't feel like we've gotten beat yet this season. We've beaten ourselves every game. So um I mean it's just it's just as simple as correcting those small things, you know. 
when when stuff like that happens, when those when those um those same mistakes keep happening, you got to kind of get back to the basics and go start at start back at the foundation and build back up because I mean that's not something that we're characteristically known for. So you know, just eliminating that so we can stay ahead of the chains and, and stay on schedule. I love what he said there because no one's beating us. We've beaten ourselves. That's true. He's absolutely correct. Turnovers, which have been a huge issue, and penalties. And in here's the crazy thing about the Saints team. This is why I'm not ready to put paper sack over the head type of situation here. Even when they've committed all those turnovers and they've committed all those penalties and they've looked awful and out of sorts and haven't looked like they're even awake for the first half of football games, right? We, we can all agree with that. Way too many turnovers, way too many penalties. They don't look prepared and they look like they're sleepwalking through the first half, right? We can all agree to that. They've nearly won every game they've lost in spite of all that. Imagine what this team can do if they're a little bit more disciplined, if they get their offense going a little bit earlier, and they don't turn over the ball. They're 4-0. That's the, that's the thing about this team, that you can see it. They just have to clean it up. And this also, um, this doesn't fall all on the players. This starts with Dennis Allen. This starts with Pete Carmichael of being better prepared, coaching better, and calling better plays. Plain and simple. AK was asked, hey, you guys have been hit with some penalties, and we've talked about the atrocious ones called against them that have been proven that they were bad and they shouldn't have been called, and, and that's happened every game so far this season. But they've also had a rash of penalties that they deserve to have called on them. They've been sloppy with it. And Kamara was asked about why there's been so many penalties so far this season. And I think uh, me and DA kind of talked about it a little bit. But, you know, I mean, it's football. You're not going to be perfect. Sometimes some of these things are happening in practice. And, you know, I think starting with me, like, you know, I, we, we might see it. And, you know, whereas I think in, in the past, sometimes we, we're, we're more, I think, focused and more, I think, harder or more harsh on it than, than we have been. In these past couple of weeks so you know it's just it's it starts with you know the captains i mean me being a captain off as ram and james and andy like guys like that just stepping up and being like yo that's not acceptable we can't keep doing that because when we do it in practice and no stage, then it ends up happening on sunday and then you know it's it's not like we could redo on sunday you know you end up losing and that's what happens we're losing ball ball games because of this and not staying on schedule because of that so um you know i think just got to be more vocal and be more <laughs> attentive and, and basically just more detailed when it comes to things like that, like those pre-snap penalties and just penalties, period, mistakes. I appreciate him saying that. But why hasn't he or Ramchek or Jameis or Andy said this before? Why is it taking to get into the game four, through four weeks, rather, to now feel like, hey, we got we to gotta step up and say something. If you got the C on your chest... You got that captain patch? You should have been doing this after week one. Just saying. It's not too late, 
but there should have been a sense of urgency about this type of thing two weeks ago. Got to take care of it now. But they're one in three. A lot of fans feel like the season's lost, feels like they're not going to be able to turn around, feels like it's going to be a paper sack type of season. But you look around the NFC, they're only one game out of the division. And Tampa Bay hasn't looked great. And if the Saints can put together a couple wins, nine and eight, ten wins could win the division this year. Everything's still in front of them. That's why Kamara said yesterday, guess what? They got no panic. It's always urgent. Never panic. I don't think there's any panic. Um, I don't see any panic in any of these guys, but we definitely have a sense of urgency because we're used to winning. I don't like losing. I mean, I don't think anybody likes losing, but I hate losing. You know, I go in every week like I'm, I'm gonna win. You know, so um, it's definitely a sense of urgency to get it, get it back turned around and, and going in the right direction because you know we still have a lot of goals we want to achieve this year, and they're not out of reach. You know, it's just a little blurry right now, but we correct these mistakes and, and get going, and we'll be fine. Got to start Sunday. Seattle feels like a must-win. That gets you to two and three. Start building up some confidence and welcome in Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Cincinnati Bengals the following week. But it's got to start Sunday. Got to get cleaner. You know, stop with the penalties. Stop with the turnovers. Actually score some points in the first half of ball games, And this team could be still really, really good. Reminder, here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So you or a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a brand new fence. Could be chain link, could be privacy. Pool, gazebo, rose garden. It does not matter. Swing set. It it really doesn't matter. You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. So what happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Look, before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up our number one. That's all next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Poll question of the day. Which Major League Baseball wildcard matchup is the most exciting for you? Once again, Major League Baseball playoffs begin this Friday with the wildcard round. That's going to be a best of three series. Right now, 50% of you say that you're the most excited to see the Seattle Mariners in the playoffs for the first time since 2001 as they take on the Toronto Blue Jays. That's right. 50% say Mariners, Blue Jays, wild card series. 27% of you say Phillies at Cardinals. 18% say Padres at Mets. And 5% say the Tampa Bay Rays against the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians. 
Brad says, better question is, who cares? This is football season. Go Dem Tigers. Brad, no. No. Bad Brad. Bad Brad. Bad Brad. Who cares? We love baseball here, Brad. Come on, bud. Come on. We got to take a timeout. Hour number one is now in the books. Hour number two coming up. We're going to shift gears, talk a lot of football in hour number two and three. So that'll make you happy, Brad. That's all coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Baseball slander will not be tolerated on RP3 and company. Just saying. I got nothing but love for Brad. But baseball slander will not be tolerated. We can have Major League Baseball love and the playoffs while college football and the NFL growing on. We have the capacity. It can't just be one thing and the other. Just saying. Just make room in your heart for all of it. It's a great time of year. You got the playoffs for baseball. College football's a month into the season. NFL's a month into the season. NBA's right around the corner. Come on. This is great. It's the best time of the year. Hour number two has arrived. Half an hour from right now, our friend Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. We're going to break down this weekend's action of games. Going to talk LSU, Tennessee, Bama A&M, and so much more. Get you those sports betting lines, and Lee will give you his thoughts on how he would bet the games. Are these teams going to cover or not? He's the expert. That's why he's going to be joining us half an hour from right now. Of course, We'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Spent a lot of time in hour number one talking about baseball. Game 162 went yesterday to Houston. Myself, Kevin Foote, my main man, Blaine Viator, and the brother love, Mr. Ben Love. We all went, had a great time. Great little road trip. And yes, we spent the entire time in the car talking and arguing about sports. <laughs> That's what happens when you get four sports dudes in the car. We talk nothing about sports. We have small talk about our wives and our kids. And then it's right into debating sports. And that's what makes sports great. Spent a lot of time talking baseball. Astros, let's talk about them quickly. 
the pitching is the best of any team in the playoffs. By far. It's not even close. You got Verlander, Valdez. Man, Framer's so good. He's so good. Like, if if Justin leaves because he wants to get a bigger contract because he's resurrected and he wants to find a team that give him a three-year deal, and let's say the Astros don't, even though I think they're going to try to, Framer Valdez is you're going to be your number one. That's going to happen. So, but you got Verlander, you got Valdez, you got Lance McCullers. Lance McCullers Jr. is their number three option of the rotation. On most teams, a healthy McCullers is your number one. Christian Javier has been pitching the best of his career. He's your number four. You don't even have spot on your postseason roster for the ALDS for Jose Arquiti or Luis Garcia. Don't have time for him. Hunter Brown, the rookie sensation. He's already merging to that role where he's going to eat up two innings for the Strohs. You got Presley, you got Stanek. They're just so good. And you got veteran guys up and down the lineup. Jose Altuve, best season since he won the MVP in 2017. Alex Bregman had the kid, turned it around. Alvarez playing better. Now, the power numbers aren't there. The home run numbers aren't there. But he is playing better even though he has he's dealing with the, the wrist arm injuries. Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez. Jeremy Pena played better late. Kyle Tucker is almost a 30-30 guy. First time All-Star this year. Boy, he can play. Flat out play. Now, no Michael Brantley Jr. hurts the Strohs? Absolutely. That's a veteran bat they could use. Yuli Gurriel not playing at the plate like he did last year when he won the batting title. That hurts him. But you still get the nifty glove work from him at first. So there's holes in the lineup. Whoever they throw out there to play center field, you're not immensely confident that they're going to get on base. So the lineup does have a few holes. But this is a team that's been to three World Series in five years and five straight ALCSs. There's not a team on their side of the bracket, so to speak, that they're going to look at and go, eh, we're intimidated. They're in the Yankees' head. So, Strohs, man, they look like they got it. Maybe they can push through. Maybe they can finally get Dusty that elusive World Series championship. Won 106 games this year. 106? It's phenomenal. Wild card starts this weekend. That leads us to our poll question of the day. Who do you like? Which wild card matchup appeals the most to you? Which one are you the most excited for? Is it the Tampa Bay Rays who have backed into the playoffs? They have looked dreadful for nearly three weeks. Taking on the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians. I like Cleveland. Cleveland is the one team that could give Houston problems. Is it the Philadelphia Phillies taking on the St. Louis Cardinals? A Cardinals team that we haven't really paid attention to because so much focus was on the Dodgers and on the Mets and then the Braves. St. Louis had a sneaky, sneaky great season. Goldschmidt comes out of nowhere to have an MVP year. Is it the Mariners at Blue Jays? Hannah's 
five names. That's right, five names as team, her and JPK, the OD. Mariners make the playoffs for the first time since 2001, taking on a Toronto team that's dangerous, even though I don't think the Blue Jays have the pitching. And then the mess that is the San Diego Padres, they're a fun mess, but they're still a mess, taking on the New York Mets. That's our poll question of the day. Which Major League Baseball wildcard matchup is the most exciting? Right now, the Mariners, Blue Jays is running away with it, but we want to hear from you. Keep those votes coming. And you know, Brad, we got nothing but love for you, Brad. You know that. I even liked your comment, even though you said, you know, who cares about baseball? Because, you know, it's all about the love here on RP3 and company. But I also gave you some stern love with a gift that said, stop it. You can love baseball and college football and NFL and the NBA all at the same time. It's not impossible. If you do that, you open. if you would open up your heart to that, oh, you'd be so much better. You'd feel so much better. You'd feel more fulfilled. Just saying, try it out. Before I dive into the fun that was the New Orleans Saints injury report from yesterday, you're going to enjoy that, Saints fan. Not really. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Jamie, to the show. Jamie, good morning to you, brother. How you doing? I'm doing all right, Mr. Third. How are you this morning? I'm doing tremendous, bud. I got to see a Major League Baseball game yesterday with some buds. Nice. That's right. Y'all went to Houston, didn't you? That's right, brother. Thank you for paying attention to the show. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, there was a little <laughs> while I had to take care of my daughter, so I might have missed that conversation. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, bud. <laughs> Look, I wanted to say this, and, you know, Mr. Brad can have his opinion, even if it's wrong, but the fact of the matter is, this is the greatest sports time of the year. You've got playoff baseball, yes. which, you know, Ghost Rose, my Marlins suck, but Ghost Rose, they were, I was a Marlins fan long, or uh, a Nachos fan long before I was a, uh, a Devil Rays fan, so, uh, yeah, I'm pulling for the Astros, not the Rays. Um, it's football season, and, uh, well, we're just leaving it at that. It's football season for the NFL. College ball is back and uh, looking great. Basketball's right around the corner. And then do you know what starts tonight? Uh, what? NHL hockey. Hockey's back, baby. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. You, 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 that's right. Love the hockey. You're a big, big lightning guy. I forgot about that. That's right. Bolt, uh, Bolt season will be starting up. Uh, the pins. Uh, so, but hockey's back, and that's just, you got to love a combination of football, soccer, and boxing on Lethal Blade. It's just a lot of fun. And I heard Baton Rouge is getting the team back. So, uh, might have to go check that out. There you go, bud. Thank you for the phone call, Jamie. I hope you have a tremendous day. Y'all too. Y'all take care. See, I appreciate hockey. I just never got into it. I just, yeah, I think there's a small window for guys. In particular, it's your childhood. All of us grow up playing baseball, so that's already there. And then football and basketball get added to it. But if you don't, like, I think you have to get there before you probably turn 20. If 
the sport that you're going to love and follow if you're going to keep it with you the rest of your life? I, I think it's kind of hard after you get past the age of like 20, 21, 22 to add a new sport. It has to be done during your childhood or your teenage years and right before adulthood because then you get set. Like for me, first love was baseball. That's never changed. College football, NFL, NBA, and then it was golf. The rise of Tiger. So, and that got in. So by the time I got exposed and started paying attention to, say, soccer or hockey, it was already too late. I appreciate them. I respect them. I've been to live sporting events for soccer. Saw Team USA play friendly, I want to say, back in 1998 in St. Louis against Uruguay. I saw the MLS All-Stars take on Manchester United B-team in Texas. Respect the heck out of it. Don't follow it. Just don't. Hockey. Watching hockey in person, seeing a Dallas Stars game, was phenomenal. You get to understand it a little bit better in person than you do watching it on television. But that's it. Like, I went, had a great time, didn't start following it afterwards. So I think you have a window. Like, by the time you get to about 22, 23, if you haven't added a sport to your, you know, your life, to what you're passionate about, I don't think it's going to happen. Just don't think it's going to happen. Let me tell you some good news. About the Saints injury report yesterday for the Seattle game. (laughs) These are the five players that did not practice. Guard Calvin Throckmorton for an ankle injury. Michael Thomas still not practicing with the foot. Sure does feel like that guy's never going to be healthy again. Jameis Winston with the back and the ankle. P.J. Williams with the quadricep injury. Ryan Ramchek got rest. Is that going to be the thing now with Ramchek? That he's going to get a couple days every week for rest? Guy's like 26 years old. They're having to give him that much rest. Marcus May was limited. With the rib injury, Andres Pete was limited with the concussion. Alvin Kamara was limited for the rib injury. Jarvis Landry was limited to the ankle injury. Taysom Hill was limited to the rib injury. And Carl Granison was limited for the eye. Actually, he did not play at all. No, he was a full participant, even though he's on the injury report. He Carl did play. Also, Peyton Turner did not practice for a chest injury. Many of y'all were all fired up to dump on Marcus Davenport every year he's been in the league because he always gets injured. Where is that visceral reaction for Peyton Turner, who was a first-round pick out of Houston? That cat has not made an impact, not one. And he's always injured. Always. Is there something in the water? Is it something in the hydration treatment that they're giving them down there at the complex and metairie because the last few years have been nothing but injuries for the saints everyone's always nicked up always there's always something 
They can never put a full healthy team on the field for two weeks in a row. There's always somebody getting hurt. They spent a first round pick on Peyton Turner, and that guy makes no impact besides blocking what an extra point and being injured all the time. And is Michael Thomas going to be this way the rest of his career? Where he's constantly going to be always missing time? Can't be a top five dog in the league if you don't play. Sorry. Can't be that. You gotta play. If you're going to be considered one of the greatest in the league, it helps to actually be able to play the games. That is a woof-tastic practice report. Injury report for the Saints. Now, a lot of those guys are limited, so they should be able to go come Sunday. We'll get another report today and tomorrow, so some of these guys that did not practice may be able to practice. You Keep your fingers crossed for Michael Thomas, even though Seattle's defense is trash. But still, ugh, team, can't, team can't get healthy. Unbelievable. Hey, the game wants you to face your worst nightmares. And no, the Saints having the season that they're having is not considered a nightmare, not yet. They lose to Seattle, maybe. We want to hook you up with tickets to one of the top haunted attractions in the country, the 13th Gate over in Baton Rouge. Just text the word GATE to 337-283-8100. That's GATE to 337-283-8100 to win a pair of general emission passes. Once again, that's GATE to 337-283-8100. Get your scare on this Halloween season at 13th Gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions and The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Want to get those phone calls in? Give us a holler. Hotline's 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, we're about 10 minutes away from Lee Sterling for Paramount Sports joining us, giving us the latest sports betting lines for this weekend's action of college football and a little NFL. Going to be good stuff there. That LSU-Tennessee game, oh, man, that's intriguing. I, I know Tennessee is favored. I feel like Tennessee is going to win that game. Game being at 11 o'clock favors LSU. Fans may hate it. Team doesn't care. And by the way, LSU always wins when they play at 11 a.m. At least they have for like 20 years. The early kick favors them. And Tennessee has not faced a front seven as good as LSU's. LSU's got some dogs in that front seven. If they can disrupt the passing attack, 
of Tennessee, they're going to have a chance. And Tennessee's pass defense is absolute trash. They're like ranked 127. Never a good thing if you're ranked outside the top 100. And Tennessee hasn't faced a team with a defense as good as what LSU has. Now, can LSU actually take advantage of facing a poor pass defense? Can Jane Daniels get on the same page with Kayshawn Butte and Malik Neighbors and Jack Besh? Can they get them involved? Brian Thomas as well. They have talented guys, a wealth of talent at wide receiver. Can they actually take advantage of it? That's the big thing for LSU. If they can get pressure on Hooker and disrupt the rhythm of that offense and run the football, which would be helpful, and then have some efficient passing. They don't need Jane Daniels to throw for 300 yards. But you got to take advantage of the matchup. Run the football and then take advantage of a poor pass defense. That would give LSU a chance. Do I think Tennessee's going to win the game? Yes. But I think LSU's got a shot. I really do. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. First off, a compliment for a certain producer extraordinaire from Ralph Bergeron on the Twitters. He says, Mariners, Jays. That's the one that he's most excited about for the wild card round. It's been 21 years since Seattle was in the playoffs. Then all of a sudden, five names randomly picks them as her team. And boom, what a good luck charm. Once again, we went through this before the start of the season. (laughs) Went through this before the start of the season where you picked the team. And you just so have, and you look, you've actually become a fan of the Mariners. This is not a joke. Like, you were like, I want to follow a baseball team. And you made the decision not to jump on any bandwagons. You're like, everyone around here is either an Astros fan or a Braves fan. I'm not going to do that. That was a decision that you made. Mm -hmm. You didn't want to jump on the Yankees train either. You wanted to find a team that you wanted to root for and get to know and root for. And you ended up picking the Seattle Mariners because of their color scheme. Let's be honest. You (laughs) You love the color scheme, which is fine. You didn't want to be a bandwagon fan, and you found your own reason why to root for a baseball team, and you have rooted for them, and you have fallen in love with the game of baseball because of this. Yep. I actually picked the day that I revealed I was going to be a Mariners fan was the same day that Julio Rodriguez, one of their best players, possibly rookie of the year, hint, hint, please, signed to come to the big show to be on their major league roster. Just so happens that happened the same day. Just, Just so saying. happens. Just so happens. Five names taking credit here. But no, it's exciting, right? Mm-hmm. It's exciting. Your Very team exciting. is in the playoffs. We had a good discussion yesterday on the drive back from the Astros game uh, uh, about that. And for you, this is great. Like, th- this is phenomenal for you. And the reason why I say that is sometimes we let our expectations of winning championships negatively impact our fandom you know I'm the type of guy and spoken like a true Atlanta Braves fan I'm the type of guy I'd rather have my team be good and have a chance every year than win one championship and then be trash for eight years like I I don't want to be the Miami Marlins I have no desire to be that 
I'd rather my team be competitive, win, because that's exciting. Like, winning a championship's great. Don't get me wrong. It is, and that's always the goal. You always want your team to win a title. But I'd much rather have my team in the mix year after year and enjoy that than to win one championship and then have my team be trash for 20 years. Like, that does not appeal to me. It just doesn't. And I think sometimes we let our expectations of, oh, it's got to be a championship or bust, get in the way of us enjoying our fandom and enjoying our teams. For you, you're, you're, you're young, and this is your first year as a Major League Baseball fan, and your team is making to the playoffs. So this, enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Like, I know, like, Martin says all the time, he goes, you know, we have next year, you know, next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But me, it's more of a, like, our goal right now is to get to the playoffs. We did that. So to me, I'm just enjoying it. If we crash and burn to the Blue Jays this weekend, okay. We, we, we got to the playoffs for the first time in 21 years. Yes. That's our goal. We made that goal. Now, you know, if we run and we make a little run in the playoffs, we do that. But it's not like a, you know, if we don't do it, I'm going to, like, cry and we and go into a hole or something. <laughs> I'm fine. And they, everybody else is like, no, we need to get championship. I'm not Paul and I'm not Martin. I'm enjoying what I got. If I do well, I do well. Enjoy it while you have it. And just and just and just enjoy it. That's yeah. all that, that's that's what it's all about is just enjoying what you have. Enjoy yeah. being a fan. Yeah, we're in the bonus time of the basketball game right now. This is all bonus. All bonus, she says. It's all bonus. This woman says it's all bonus. Let's get to some more comments here on our Poll question of the day is, which Major League Baseball wildcard matchup's most exciting? Right now, 47% of you say Mariners, Blue Jays, 25% for Padres, Mets, 22% for Phillies, Cardinals, 6% for Rays, Guardians. Brad has clarified. He says, I love college and high school baseball, but when the Red Sox are not in it, I find Major League Baseball playoffs very uninteresting until the World Series. That's fair, Brad. Now that I know that you're a fan of a team and they didn't make it, I get it. I can respect that. JPK, the OD, going to go ahead and call my shot. Mariners in four. Mr. RP3, you and Hannah have better go ahead and circle October 17th on the calendar and plan on pulling a long day. The footer will be unavailable for work and, and to society in general for a week or so after the Mariners dispatch the Strohs. I love the confidence. You got to get past the Blue Jays first, JPK, the OD. Just saying. And then he comes back even more. The Jays are just a speed bump. Bring on Houston. You know they don't want any part of these M's. Hashtag Houston scared. <laughs> I, I love the enthusiasm. I really do. Salty Steve chiming in saying, Fighting Teal versus the Canadian Birds for the privilege to knock out the Strohs. Hashtag go Yankees. Hashtag go five names. Salty Steve, you, you better hope they knock out the Astros because your Yankees don't want any part of Houston. And you know this because Astros live rent-free in the Yankees' head. Keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Yesterday, I did have the thought process. Because during the summer, I somehow convinced my wife to allow me to take her and our daughter to a minor league baseball game. <laughs> wife is not a fan of watching baseball in person. It's just not her wheelhouse. Now, if it was a New Orleans Saints football game, 
all day long. College football, all day long. My wife's a football. She's, she digs the football. But we went to go see my brother. We went to Nashville. We got to see a Sounds game there in Nashville, AAA baseball. And she begrudgingly went along with it. And I was talking to Ben about this yesterday at the game. He said, well, how did she like it? Because he took Bob, his son, to his first game earlier this year. And it was a big deal. And I said, had he actually enjoyed it? You know, for a little while. And she was seven at the time. Not necessarily, you know, baseball. You know, she sat there and was good for, you know, three or four innings. And then was like, eh, is it time to go? <laughs> and my wife was like, is it time to go? <laughs> so I got to figure out a way. What do I need to do to convince my wife and my daughter for us to go to a Major League Baseball game? Because I went to two of them this year. Went to a White Sox game in Chicago. Went to an Astros game yesterday. What can I do to convince my wife and my daughter for us to go to a Major League Baseball game together? Is it more likely that I'm going to be able to convince them to do that, or is it more likely that my wife will allow me to go with some friends to a Major League Baseball game and she doesn't have to go? (laughs) I feel like it's probably going to be the latter. Just saying. She's a champ, though. She puts up with the boys' road trips all the time. She just does. Your daughter says you need to go alone. Who said this? Your daughter. How do you know this? Your wife just messaged me. <laughs> How do you say you need to go alone? Oh, Daddy, time for you to leave so we can have a girls' night. See, we could coordinate it that way. Yeah, I'll go with you, and then the girls can stay home, and they'll, like, tip a mani-pedi or, like, do something. There we go. Yeah. There we go. I'll be your pretend son. It's okay. There we go. <laughs> I mean, I did bring home fudge for the family, for the wife, and the daughter from Bucky's. Always Good the job. go-to. Always the go-to. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, maybe that can be part of the arrangement. We got to take a timeout. When we return here, Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports will join us. Talk sports betting for college football this weekend. That's all coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and company. It's time for us to talk. Let's talk. Let's get our talk on. Let's talk about the weekend of action that's coming up for college football and a little NFL. It was a rough week for our guy. It was a rough week for a lot of folks. (laughs) But there's no one better to have talk about college football, talk about the point spreads than our friend from Paramount Sports, 
the man with more than three decades as an analyst. Lee Sterling joins us now. Lee, good morning to you, brother. How you feeling, bud? I'm great. Um, it's weird. I, I There's some shows I can just have a bad record on because obviously we're going to go over, you know, uh, the the raging Cajun games each week when they're playing a Division One opponent, uh, you know Alabama, LSU, and <laughs> I'm winning for my clients. I just can't win on on the games that your listeners care about. So hopefully we get aligned <laughs> where we both win this weekend. Oh brother, you're good. You're yeah. good. No, don't don't worry about that. So no, no, it's just it's just it's just weird. It happens sometimes. Like I had a show. I've been doing a show in Seattle for 23 years. And this year I'm five and fifteen on the selections, and the host is like, "What's going on? Are you having a problem?" I'm like, "No, I'm just there's a couple teams that I can't figure out, and some strange games, and you know, like the LSU game last week, the strange game, you know, oh, so bizarre. you know, sometimes those things happen, and I'm like, go to my website, go to recent results, you can see every game I've given my clients dating back five years, so it's been an incredible September." I just got to turn it around for the radio show. There you go, brother. All right, let's start with this week's slate. Mississippi State, Arkansas. This is a really intriguing game. It's going to go a long way to figure out the pecking order of who finishes in the top three, top four in the SEC West. Razorbacks showed a lot of fight. Finally had a great third quarter, which they've struggled with all year against Alabama, and then Alabama just flexed up and just dominated them in the fourth to win convincingly there in Fayetteville, electric Fayetteville for that game. They have to turn around and take on a Mississippi State team that's working to improve as well. State is a six-point favorite in this. Are you surprised by the betting line? No. I mean, it's based on K.J. Jefferson's status, which is up in the air, and it's based on what we saw last week. I mean, Arkansas's in the game, and then three long running plays against them, which – if you had thought it had been big plays, you would have thought at least two of the three would have been against their pass defense. So um, I think there's a little overreaction. Uh, Mississippi State played well last week, got four turnovers from Texas A&M. So they see a team that wins by 20 and then another team that loses by more than 20 and uh, the status of Jefferson. But I think man for man, personnel-wise, Arkansas has more talent. So, you know, are you going to buy high? Uh, no, when you buy stocks, you want to buy low. I, I think Arkansas is going to – these are college kids. They can get back up as quickly as they change classes, going from one class to the next. So um, I think Arkansas gets back up. Their defense, the 3-2-6, was built for this type of offense. And I think Arkansas is going to get four or five sacks, play their best defensive game, shock everyone, win this game here 27-24. Let's talk about Ole Miss because – the Rebels feels like a team we're not talking enough about. Mm-hmm. They, they've they started off very strong. Credit Lane Kiffin for adjusting his offense to the personnel that he has, right? He doesn't have Matt Corral at quarterback anymore. Nope. And he's figuring out a way to, you know, run the football and run the football extremely well. Ole Miss is sneaky good. And they're taking on a Vanderbilt team that's, let's be honest, the Vanderbilt. Yep. But I'm always wary, Lee, when a point spread is – like 17, 18, 20 against an inferior opponent because especially in college, teams tend to play down to the competition. They tend to look past the team, right? And that always kind of worries me. The, the, the bet line here is 17 
in favor of Ole Miss. They feel like they're, you know, almost a three-touchdown favorite. They they are clearly yep. the better team. But I always get nervous when that line's really big like that. Well, Vandy, give them credit. And, and if you were a part of our service, uh, we released futures. Um, you had already won on them. The over for the win total this season was two and a half wins. And you didn't have to wait the entire season. They beat Hawaii, Elon, and Northern Illinois. But – um, they give up way too many yards versus decent opponents. Jackson Dart is starting to settle in, running and throwing the football. Yep. They have a 65-35 split running to passing. And he's actually not only gone to more of a running game, slowed down the offense. He realized last year that his defense uh, it, it left him on the field too, too, for too long. So uh, I, I like the fact that he's played it smarter there. Uh, their running game is legit, number five in the country. They got a couple guys in the offensive line really do their job. And um, just playing Vandy because you're a home dog with a bye and and getting Ole Miss in a sandwich game isn't enough for me. Uh, Vandy is four and sixteen as a home underdog. I like Ole Miss forty two seventeen. The point spread compared to Alabama Texas A and M intrigues me. Bama is a 24-point favorite against Texas A&M. I know this is a revenge game from last year. I know this has a lot to do with – you and I talked about this at SEC Media Days, about Jimbo and Nick Saban clashing. We don't know the status of Bryce Young. We – you know, they still found a way to win against Arkansas. A&M looks like they're struggling. Is Alabama really 24 points better than Texas A&M? Okay, so uh, when – Saturday, Sunday afternoon rolls around about 4 o'clock your time. I will sit there, and that's when the lines come out for the next week. And I will put, I will do two sets of lines. I will put out what the line should be, and I have my own power ratings. And they're pretty close to what, um, you know, uh, the, these odds makers that make the lines have. I mean, I'm off sometimes a couple points. I might think a team or a certain player elevates a team a little more than they do, but uh, in college, if the line is under 30, I'm usually within a point, point and a half. And I can tell you this much. Then I also put what the line will actually be. The line should be 16 points here. It should not be 24 points. But uh, they made it this way because all, all, all everyone's talked about in the offseason is Alabama playing with revenge here. And if you play a team based on blind revenge, you <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna go poor. You're gonna be living under a bridge. Right. Bama scored three touchdowns as we mentioned last week. Uh, long touchdowns and A&M's defense is not Arkansas's. They are much more talented. They're rock solid. They can play like eight or nine guys on the defensive line, and there's not a drop off. Their defensive coordinator, DJ Durkin, used to be at Ole Miss. He knows the concepts that Alabama is going to play with. He just didn't have the athletes the last couple of years at Ole Miss. He has much more depth to compete. Their defensive backs are much better. They go like three deep at cornerback, uh, two deep at safety here. They've been recruiting right there with Alabama the last couple of years here. And going into the game last year when they upset Alabama 41-38, they've scored only 10 and 22 points. It's like a stock, like we mentioned on the other game. Are you going to buy, you know, uh, A&M when they're high. No, you buy them when they're low. They're probably at their lowest point here. I think Jimbo Fisher is going to have some tricks up his sleeve here. He's not going to roll over here. Alabama wins 34-20, but A&M's keeping this under the 24 points. Let's quickly go to Tennessee LSU. Yep. 
Tennessee ranked in the top 10. They got a dynamic offense. They may have the best quarterback in the SEC. And I, yes, I do know Bryce Young still playing at Alabama. And LSU's ranked in the top 25 again for the first time in a while. 11 a.m. kick this Saturday. Point spread is only three. How do you feel about that game? Well, it's it's there partially because Tennessee struggled with Pitt, and Pitt has turned out it's not a real good team this year. But I I thought the bye week is perfect for Tennessee to prepare mentally and physically and get that game plan ready for LSU and and Alabama. Give LSU credit for that double-digit comeback, both wins against Mississippi State and Auburn. But the fact remains... This is not a real good team. This is a flawed offense. Jaden Daniels, 8 for 20 last week for 80 yards, and they come back from double digits. You can't keep winning with a quarterback as your leading rusher and also passer. Um, I mean, Hendon Hooker, this guy's averaging, not as thrown once, averaging 365 yards passing a game, 11.3 yards per pass attempt. And if you think they don't have a running game, they're ranked 31st. This is a balanced team here. I like Tennessee, 45-31. All right, bud, let's talk Saints, here. Seahawks. Ooh, Saints fans, they, 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 they need a win. They, yep. they, they need a win. Their team has struggled. Point spread is five. The game is at home inside the Caesar Superdome. How you liking that spread? Well, how about all these injuries? It is incredible. I mean, the, the number of guys that are listed as questionable for New Orleans. You know, you got Winston, Kamara, you got Thomas, offensive tackle, Pete. Um, I think two or three of those guys are going to play here. So the return of their key starters obviously makes a difference here in firepower. Um, only the Lions have played worse defense than the Seahawks. It's been totally masked that, you know, because Seattle's 2-2, two and two, and Geno Smith has played way better than expected. The Seahawks, I think, catch New Orleans. And this is a circle-your-wagons type game here, having lost three in a row here. And Geno Smith has been out of his mind, but uh, they're gonna, he's going to face a much better defense from the worst defense in the league to, of, of Detroit to a defense that has capable and has really good defensive backs here. I think this is the game where Geno Smith blows up here. I like New Orleans. They win and cover 27-20. All right, bud, i got about 35 yeah. seconds, but it's yours. Give us your game of the week. Yeah, game of the week this week, big one here, Florida, Missouri. Anyone wants to get the game? Just call 800-400-9741-9-2-8-2-6-3. Last four weeks, anyone wants to hop on board, it's not October. We call it Locktober. Four weeks, $297. Use coupon code SAVE100, ParamountSports.com. Lee, appreciate your time as always. Brother, enjoy your weekend, my friend. You too. Take care. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two here on RP3 and Company. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day, which Major League Baseball wildcard matchup is the most exciting wildcard round starts tomorrow for Major League Baseball? 48% of you say Mariners at Blue Jays. 25% say Padres at Mets. 21% say Phillies at Cardinals. And 6% of you say the Tampa Bay Rays versus the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians, whatever they want to call themselves. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. Ton says, RP3, so who would you rather the Braves face? I didn't hear if you said it already. Look, 
St. Louis is going to be a team that's going to be a problem. They just are. If we'd face the Mets, I'm not concerned about that. I actually, is as well as the Dodgers have played, they have the best record in baseball. There's just something about the Cardinals this year. Feels like a team that could upset the apple cart, so to speak, and make it to the World Series. And that's going to be a team that we would have to face in the divisional round. Now, you have to question their pitching, but Cardinals in the National League has to be the Cardinals. I They present a scarier uh, threat than the Dodgers do for me. That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Les East of ChristmasCitySports.com. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome to hour number three of RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III. I am the big, bald, and beautiful one. Joined inside the studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah. Five names. Two hours in the books. Final hour has arrived. Half an hour from right now, Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South will join us to look ahead to the weekend in college football. Get his reactions on what's going on in the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, and, of course, the Big 12. That'll be coming up half an hour from right now. But at this moment, it's time for us to talk all things New Orleans Saints with the award-winning columnist reporter from CrescentCitySports.com. Our good friend Les East joins us now. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. I'm talking to you. And we're talking football. So, I mean, can it get any better? Well, we're talking bad football, so I guess it could get a little better. <laughs> You're welcome. I set that up, and Les took care of it for me. <laughs> um, yeah. What ails the New Orleans Saints, if you had to summarize? You know, it's it's a couple of things. And one seems more fixable than the other. The first one is just their own mistakes, turnovers, and penalties. I mean, if you if you stop turning the ball over and stop committing an inordinate number of penalties, things get a lot better right away. And uh, they've been talking about this for about three weeks now. So, and Dennis Allen talked about it yesterday. They're, they're doing more uh, takeaway drills to try and uh, – not only take the ball away more in defense, but improve the ball security on offense. So, I mean, that's the thing that they can fix. I saw Pete Carroll's news conference yesterday in Seattle because they come here this week, and he was 
you know, bemoaning the penalties for his team. And he said, you know, that's one thing we can fix easily. So if they, if they just stop beating themselves, that would be a big improvement. But the other problem they have that's a little harder to, to grasp is the fact that they're out of sync, okay? The offense, when it plays well, it's only for part of the game. The defense plays well for most of the game. And then when they have a chance to get a big stop and maybe win the game, they give up a touchdown. And then the special teams have major breakdowns at inopportune moments. And so instead of, you know, the defense getting a three and out and setting up the offense for a long drive and then the special teams pinning the other team down after the kickoff and, and you know, what everybody calls complimentary football, uh, they're not doing that. It's, it's, it's totally disjointed. There's no consistency in any of the phases, and there's no continuity within the three phases working together. And that's just the sign of bad football is having uh, breakdowns in all three phases, especially at uh, crucial times. And that's something that, I, you know, I don't know how you fix that other than you keep practicing and you keep playing and you keep trying to get better. But, boy, that's a, that, that's a mess right there. And I, I don't know how you, uh, you fix that in the short term. It's something that I think you just have to – Try and gradually get better at over the long haul, but you know, at one and three, they got to start winning some games here. Is the sloppiness with the turnovers and the penalties is that just poor preparation and poor coaching? I don't think you can blame uh, that on coaching, uh, although you know certainly everybody has to take some of the blame there. I, you know, it's not one thing; it's you know, it's different people doing it at different times. It's sometimes it's uh, a little bit of desperation having to play from behind. In some cases, it's backups playing because of the better players are injured. Uh, sometimes it's bad luck. Sometimes it's just a great play by the defense. One of the interceptions Tampa Bay made against the Saints was just a great play in the end zone on a long throw from Jameis Winston. So it's not like you can point to one thing and say, well, well, let's fix this. It's different stuff happening at different times, but it does show a team that at times does not seem to be as focused as it should be. And, uh, and I think playing from behind, uh, does not help also. So it's, uh, you know, ultimately, it's the players who have to go out there and execute. And yet, uh, when it does happen, as much as it's happened over the last month, you can't absolve the coaches of some responsibility either. And and that's what's difficult for the Saints to fix it is that you know there are a lot of people who uh, deserve blame for all of these mistakes, and there are myriad mistakes. So it's not just. You know, you you fix one thing and everything's fine. It's, it's a lot worse than that. Let's talk about something that they, I guess they really don't have control over, and that it seems like the litany of injuries that this team's had the last couple of years, it always feels like somebody's nicked up and missing time. It never feels like this team 
has an opportunity to have what they want to put on the field for more than one week at a time. It just feels that way. Michael Thomas is dealing with another injury. What's his What's his latest status after missing last week's game? Is he going to miss Sunday too? Well, he didn't practice yesterday, so uh, that that's not a good start to the week. He has a toe injury, which obviously is a uh, difficult thing for a wide receiver to to deal with. So I don't know. We'll know more. Um, we'll see if he gets back on the field today or tomorrow. If he's not um, at least limited by tomorrow, I, I don't see any way he plays on Sunday. Ideally, he would be limited today and a full participant tomorrow, but I don't think that's likely at this point. I would say, uh, judging by Dennis Allen's comments yesterday, I, I would think his chances of playing Sunday are less than 50-50. Woof. I mean, it just feels like that guy can't can't get healthy. I know, I know it's 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 not really fair to say that, but it just feels that way less. It just it feels like Thomas's, you know, the rest of his career is going to be a battle to to stay on the field, kind of like what Julio Jones has had to go through in the last five years of his career, where it's he's always nicked up, he's always missing time. He's a great wide receiver, but he's always missing time. What about Alvin Kamara? I know he spoke to the media yesterday. You guys got to hear from him. If it looks like he's going to be able to go, even though he's been limited in practice with the rib injury, do you expect him to play Sunday? Yeah, I think so. He he sounded pretty optimistic that he was going to play. He said that um, coming back a couple of weeks ago from the rib injury was probably rushed a little bit. He probably um, – and he wasn't blaming anybody else. He was just saying he probably pushed it uh, too much by coming back when he did. Uh, and he seems to feel better at this point. You know, we'll, we'll see what his participation looks like the next two days. But I would say – out of the big three, Winston, Thomas, and Kamara, Kamara clearly has the best chance of playing Sunday, and I would say uh, it's a pretty good chance at this point. What's the injury that Ramchek is dealing with where they're going to have to give him rest every week and give him like a day off of practice? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was. You know, last year he used to get regular rest days because of a, a knee injury, and he had that scope in the off season. And um, I, I don't believe that's the issue. He got nicked up in one of the games a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm, I don't remember exactly what the injury was. It'll be, you know, it was listed yesterday on the injury report as rest. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's anything. Uh, I, I believe it's some sort of leg injury. I can't remember if it's a foot or a knee, but uh, I don't think it's uh, anything serious. And, you know, those offensive linemen need a rest of periodically anyway from practice. So I think a lot of what's, what's going on with him is precautionary. I, you know, if he winds up missing Wednesdays for most of the year, I don't think that's a big deal. So on, on the long list of injuries they have, I, I don't think he's a big one, at least not at this point. We're talking with Les East of CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Uh, I want to talk about Peyton Turner. As someone made the joke uh, that, you know, how does this guy get injured when he's only playing like 20 snaps a game? Uh, he's injured yet again. What's going on with the second-year player out of Houston? They have great aspirations for him, but he's inconsistent, and he seemingly is 
nicked up and injured yet again. Yeah, well, I think those two are related. The the inconsistency is because he's not been able to play a whole lot because of injuries, and sometimes when he's out there, he's playing at less than 100%. Uh, I don't know exactly how he got hurt uh, with this latest injury, but uh, it, it, it had him missing practice again yesterday, and it's you know a lot like uh, Marcus Davenport has experienced in his career at defensive end. Uh, you know, number one draft choice, a lot of potential, shows the potential periodically, but is uh, constantly being slowed by injury, and I think that's been... The problem with Turner, um, you know, he had a significant injury that kept him out most of last year, and now he's nicked up. So we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. I think it's a little early to, to think that he's, you know, that this is going to be a career-long thing, but it is frustrating for him and for the Saints that uh, his playing time is uh, so limited because they have high hopes for him, and uh, he, he's got a long way to go to, to reach their goals for him. Yeah, and they could use him as part of that rotation as well, and, and that's key for them because what Dennis likes to do with the front seven, it would help if Peyton could get healthy and be able to be part of that. All right, so it, disappointing loss to Minnesota. You're now 1-3. Is Sunday's game against Seattle inside the Caesar Superdome, is it a must-win for this team? And I ask that less because – uh, even being one and three and looking awful for a good portion of those four games, there's still only one game back in the division because no one else is really running away with it and Tampa Bay looks mediocre. So they still have an opportunity to get back into this, but do they need to get a win? Is Sunday a must win? Well, yeah, and that's why I'm always reluctant to use the term must win because, you know, they're going to play 12 more games regardless of what happens Sunday. And it's certainly possible that, you know, they could lose by 50 points and win the division. So, you know, until they're in a, until they're in an elimination game, I hate to use the term must win, but they are very much in need of a win if they're going to get things turned around and headed in the direction they expected this season to go. And you're right, the, the division is such, and I think the, almost the entire NFC is such, you don't have to have a great record to get into the playoffs or perhaps even to win the division. Uh, so, But the key here, I think, is they've lost three in a row. Okay, so this is kind of snowballing on them, or it could. Seattle is not a particularly good team, although they're doing a lot of good things on offense right now. So this is an opportunity to stop the losing streak because you're actually favored in this game by more than a field goal. I think it's about five and a half points, which is remarkable for a team that's lost three in a row. So if you miss this opportunity and it's four straight losses and you're one and four and Joe Burrow's coming in next week, it's it can get away from you in a hurry. So I, I, it's not a must win because the season doesn't end if they lose. But if they lose, it, a bad situation gets even worse. Brother, tell the people what you got coming to your byline this week and uh, what you got coming to ChristensCitySports.com. What, what can they go check out? Well, thanks. And uh, you can have my colleague, uh, Connor O'Gara, from Saturday Down South on uh, in a little bit. And uh, I have a lot of LSU and Mississippi State stuff on uh, 
that website. I'll have uh, more Saints stuff coming up uh, with the game Sunday. And, of course, we're, we're going to have some Pelican stuff coming up. They're now 1-0 and in the preseason. So everybody who's frustrated with the Saints can start dreaming of an NBA championship <laughs> now that the Pelicans have won their preseason opener. Just, just, just a little slightly sarcastic there, which, which I love, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Les, appreciate your time as always, brother. Talk to you next week, bud. Thanks, Raymond. Hey, just a reminder: it's time for you to warm up your dancing legs for the official run and duathlon of the Festival Acadian Creole. Race through Lafayette's historic district and end up at Gerard Park for Festival Acadiana on Sunday, October the 16th. Compete in the 5K or the 10K or the run paddle run in the duathlon. Taking part in the event helps support local parks, community projects, and the festival that you love. Volunteer or register at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. We had to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 2-4-9-5-6-7-8. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette, Marble, and Granite, they offer the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you over and over again, Chris and his team over at LMG, they provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right. You don't have to worry about the muss and the fuss of dealing with the grout in your shower. And you don't have to deal with that odor that comes up after a few years. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com today, to learn more about all the sensational services and the tremendous products that they are offering. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com. Once again, that's lmgelite.com or Stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. We asked you which Major League Baseball wildcard series you're the most excited for, the one that you're looking forward to the most. Let's get to some comments here. Because this is always a good time. Are you the most excited about Rays at Guardians? Are you the most excited about Phillies at Cardinals? Are you the most excited about Mariners at Blue Jays? Or are you the most excited? Someone's doing the the whoop whoop. She's very excited. (laughs) Mariners and Blue Jays. Do I even need to talk about the Padres and the Mets? I don't feel like I need to. 
I feel like someone is just, you know, very excited about her Mariners being in the playoffs for the first time since 2001. Yes. Right now, 48% of you do say Mariners at Blue Jays. 24% say Padres at Mets, which I'm intrigued by. I'm a little surprised by that number being so high. 23% say Phillies at Cardinals. And only 5% say the Rays at the Guardians. The Indians. The Guardians. Yes, that's what they call themselves now. Salty Steve says, Braves versus Yankees in the World Series. If that happens, I'm going to get two official caps, and whoever loses, they have to wear the winner's cap for a week. How about that? Interesting. Oh, Salty Steve throwing something out out there. Would I wear a Yankees cap? Would I put myself in danger of wearing that? Would I allow myself? Would my body allow myself to wear a Yankees hat? I think my body would be able to handle that. Now, if I had to wear a Mets hat, that's not happening. Just letting you know. That's never going to happen. There will never be any type of Mets gear that dons this big, bald, and beautiful body. Not going to happen. Not. Uh Uh-uh. Not going to wear anything that represents the Phillies either. Not going to do it. Don't like them either. And you know what? Dodgers the same way. Because the Dodgers used to be in our division years ago. Always had to stay up late. Listen to the game on the radio with my grandfather. They'd always beat us. Freaking Dodgers. Even though their white uniforms are majestic. That's a really clean looking uniform. Just saying. Interesting. Salty Steve bringing some bets into this. But wild card weekend is here. Once again, the Strohs will have almost a week off. They will not play again until the 11th. That's when the ALDS will begin. And they'll play the winner of Toronto, Seattle. Can Hannah Five Names' Mariners pull it out? Go on the road and win the wild card series? Or will the Blue Jays with Vlad Guerrero Jr. and George Springer, will they prevail? It's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see. What's going to happen? Who's going to make it happen? Who's going to advance on to the ALDS? It's going to be exciting. It's almost as exciting as when the best-dressed man at Delta Media walks into the producer studio during the show. We all just stop. We go, whoa. Look at DG. Look at DG. Woo, GQ. Mr. GQ. He just struts around. He just struts around Delta Media. People are like, man, who's that cat? Is that a model? Like, <laughs> Or is that the guy in charge of our digital products? We love Dylan. Got to take a timeout. We'll put the shenanigans aside. Well, not really, because we got Connor O'Gara coming on from Saturday down south. Going to talk all college football next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 815 a.m. and 315 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. 
Oh, the Sweet Dough Pie Festival is coming back and serving up a slice of history and deliciousness. Every year, pastry chefs and home cooks vie to be crowned the best in the Sweet Dough Pie Contest, where the public is the judge, and of course, a large variety of pies are available for purchase. The Sweet Dough Pie Festival returns Saturday, October 29th from 9 to 3 p.m. at Grand Coteau Town Park in Grand Coteau. For more information, call 337-331-6352 or visit the Town of Grand Coteau's Facebook page. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Which Major League Baseball wildcard series are you the most excited to watch this weekend? It all begins on Friday. But right now it's time for us to turn our attention to college football. And there's no one better than this gentleman from Saturday down south. Our good friend Connor O'Gara joins us now. Connor, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's uh, you know I feel like this is this is my absolute favorite time of year. Early October, you get a little chill in the air. Even down here in Florida, we've got a weekend without any SEC buys, all SEC games. This is this is it right now. This is when, when we're sitting there in May and we're talking about these these days that we long for. It's it's right now. That it is. That it is. And it's been an interesting start to the SEC slate, and that's where I want to start. I want to start with Georgia because they played down a little bit to Kent State and gave up some points, and people are like, hey, they're playing Kent State. And then the next week, they're in a dogfight, no pun intended, with Missouri of all teams. What do you make of what you're seeing from the defending champs? Are they just got a little bit of a hangover right now that they're pushing through, or is there something that maybe is a little bit more concerning that we didn't anticipate? Well, I think the the first three games skewed some things, right? I think we got a little bit ahead of ourselves in saying this team was going to be as good or even better than last year's and, and kind of forgetting, well, yeah, you can have a really good start and also be reminded that it's really difficult when you have eight new starters on the defensive side of the ball. And it hasn't just been a defensive issue. I mean, we've seen some of the lapses, and you saw it against Mizzou, I mean, they were really fortunate to hold Mizzou to field goals in some of those spots when it could have actually been a lot worse. But offensively, I mean, they haven't been healthy at receiver. They haven't had a a great few weeks from Ladd McConkey. They need A.D. Mitchell back and healthy. He's the guy who really kind of changes what they're capable of doing on the outside. As great as those tight ends are, they need those receivers as viable options to be able to create space to be able to stretch the field. So, I kind of look at it from that standpoint. I say, well, this Georgia team just has some, they have some weaknesses, and they've been exploited these last couple of weeks. They had to change up the ground scheme with what they were doing in the running game at halftime to be able to get going in the second half, and it worked. But, you know, it's a few things. and it's, it, we, we probably were a little bit premature in saying, oh, Georgia is back to its old ways, and I'm guilty of that as well, having seen them in week one and the way that they performed against Oregon. But, I still look at this team moving forward, and I say, well, yeah, I think it's one of three teams that can win a national championship. They just have some weaknesses, and if you look back at the previous national champions, most of them have had to kind of grind through some of these games, and Georgia, in my opinion, is no different. I mean, LSU in 2019 had to ground out a win against Auburn. So (laughs) I was there for that one, too. (laughs) Right, so uh, you you have these lulls during the season. Uh, Let's talk Alabama, because – They race out, and then Bryce Young gets hurt, and then Arkansas plays its best third quarter of the year because they had struggled in third quarters. Make a game of it, and then, I don't know, it's just, what, three big plays, right? And Bama just 
takes a close game and makes it a route in a hurry. What did you make of how the Crimson Tide responded with their Heisman winner getting knocked out of the game? And do you feel any better about them because of what they were able to do on the road at Arkansas? All of this has a big asterisk over it until we actually see what Bryce Young looks like with that shoulder because if his shoulder is banged up the rest of the way, no, I don't think that Alabama can win a national championship. And it's it's on his throwing shoulder. And I've kind of wondered for a while, all right, I, I don't really question you know, if Bryce Young is tough. We know he's tough, but just his style and the way that he plays, the way that he rolls out to be able to throw and some of the hits, some of the awkward hits that he takes, kind of leaves him a little bit more susceptible to a hit like the one that he took from yeah. Drew Sanders wherein he's going down and he can't really break his fall. So if Bryce Young's banged up, that changes Alabama's trajectory. They they were one of four for three yards passing in the second half of that game against Arkansas. When you have three runs of 70 yards, that's okay. That's fine. The good news is that I think Alabama was forced to grow up. Think about all these close games that Alabama has played since the start of 2021 and how many times we've said Bryce Young saves the day. And Bryce Young wasn't there to save the day against an Arkansas team that was coming back and scored 23 consecutive points. And this is in Fayetteville. And you think Arkansas has got all the momentum in the world. So Alabama was forced to grow up a little bit. If Bryce Young's able to make a full recovery, that's good for them long-term. That really is. And you get Jalen Milrow some of those meaningful reps. You see what he's capable of with his legs on that 77-yard run. That was just unbelievable to watch. So I, I think this Alabama team is, again, one of the three teams that could win a national championship, Georgia and Ohio State being two others. But you still have those questions if Bryce Young is not going to be fully healthy. The good news for this game this weekend against A&M, at least you have that one dimension, and you have the ground game, and if Jameer Gibbs is going like that, Alabama's going to be a really difficult team to stop. You've done some interesting reporting and tweeting about Jimbo and about A&M. What's going wrong for the Aggies? Because we thought that this season, even though they had some losses, that they were going to be better and that they were going to be a contender in the West or at least compete. And it feels like they've taken a step back again with that. And I don't know. I can't figure out Texas A&M, Connor. I just can't. Well, I'll figure it out for you. It's an offense that does not scheme guys open. It has a lack of depth at receiver, and it just lost its clear go-to receiver in Anaya Smith, who broke his leg in the Arkansas game. So if you look at it from that standpoint, and then you factor in, well, this offense is too complicated. Yeah, you can understand why they haven't really been able to get going offensively. And their defense is, is, is pretty good. It I is. mean, I, good, I love yeah. some of the pieces that they have on that side of the ball. But the problem is is that when you have an offense that can't stay on the field and it's super dependent on Devon Achain to bust a big to bust a big play in the ground game, it makes it really difficult to be able to feel like you can win these SEC West games. And against Mississippi State, a defense that is so prepared and is really experienced in Zach Garnett's scheme, that was a problem. And so moving forward, yeah, I mean, all these concerns that I was talking about with A&M coming into the year, I said they're the most overrated team in the country coming into this this season. And I was blown away that people were putting them in the top five, top six. I'm like, based on what? Based on you think they're going to get an upgraded quarterback? Since what, Jameis Winston left for the NFL, Jimbo Fisher hasn't had a top 30 passing offense. He hasn't had an all-conference quarterback since then either. So why are we all of a sudden under the impression that Jimbo is just going to get this automatic upgrade offensively and they're going to be just as good defensively when they lost that entire defensive line? So 
I look at this team moving forward, and I'm like, man, I think there's a good chance they're going to be wishing people made eight and four jokes. Jimbo Fisher has watched the game pass him by. And if he doesn't get an offensive mind in there to be able to call plays and recognize that he is not at that level anymore, then he's going to have problems. And we're going to be talking about A&M paying some extraordinary buyout because they're going to realize that he's not it. Yeah, you know what he needs? He needs to do what Nick did. When Nick realized that the offensive game was kind of catching him off guard, he went and got Lane Kiffin. And that made all the difference, right? That's changed the trajectory of what he's done at Alabama by changing his philosophy about offense. And I know Nick's a defensive-minded coach. I get that, and Jimbo's the offensive-minded coach. But Jimbo has to have somebody else that's smart in the room. I just wonder if Jimbo is going to allow someone else to come into the room to tell him how to run an offense. He has to. Um, If I'm Jimbo, here's what I'm doing at the end of the season. I'm throwing two and a half million bucks at Dan Mullen. I'm saying, Dan Mullen, come to College Station. We've got a championship window. We've got a championship window with the talent acquisition. As long as he doesn't have some mass exodus with the transfer portal, which is possible with all those five stars that he brought in there, as long as he doesn't have some mass exodus, I'm bringing in Dan Mullen to say, look, I'm struggling to develop quarterbacks. I've got Connor Wegman, the five-star, the number one quarterback in the 2022 class. This guy was national quarterback of the year. I can't mess this up. I can't ruin this opportunity because I've got two years to figure this out. And if I don't, they're going to be awfully frustrated with me, and I'm going to be out of a job. And just like that, my coaching legacy is is much different than what I thought it was going to be in College Station. So if I'm Jimbo Fisher, that's the move I make. I go out and I get Dan Mullen, and I, and I make him an offer he can't refuse. Now, Dan Mullen might have other ideas in mind. He might want to be a head coach. Maybe that Georgia Tech opening will be really intriguing for him. But I'm trying to go after somebody like that. Maybe it's a Mark Whipple would be really interesting as well uh, to bring him on board because we know that Nebraska staff is likely going to be gone. But I, I think that you're, you're you're exactly right. Jimbo has to be willing to make that move and recognize that he is no longer it and he is no longer scheming up these elite offenses. Talking with Connor O'Gear, reporter, columnist for Saturday Down South. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's stay in the SEC. Let's talk Tennessee LSU. I, I've said this, that you can make the argument that the gentleman playing quarterback for Tennessee may be the best quarterback in the conference, and I understand Bryce Young and Bennett are in the conference. That guy, that kid is special. He just is. The offense is awesome. Their pass defense is absolute trash. What do you make of – I know I'm being kind. What do you make of this Tennessee – LSU matchup in Death Valley, 11 a.m. kick. Fans aren't happy about it, but I don't think it matters to LSU. Maybe even favors them by playing as early as that. What do you make of this matchup between these two teams that are trying to ascend? I'm going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but hear me out. So in in the preseason, I had Tennessee going 9-3. and I had them beating Georgia, right? Yes. I had them losing this game to LSU, though. And both of these teams have kind of been what I thought they were going to be for the most part. I had Hennon Hooker as my number two quarterback in the SEC coming into the year. That spot has not changed. He is awesome. If you don't think he's one of the five or six best quarterbacks in college football, I think you're out of your mind and you're just telling on yourself that you haven't watched him play because the kid is legit. And I say kid knowing that he's 24 years old and he's going to be 25 in January. All right, He's a grown man. But that's the question that I have with this game 
the connection that he and Cedric Tillman have is off the charts. Cedric Tillman's a coin flip to play in this football game. He had the two a tightrope procedure. He is questionable to come back. And if he's not there on the road with the LSU does to be able to pressure the quarterback with B.J. Ojolari and company, that's a tough matchup. And I love Brew McCoy. I love Jalen Hyatt, the receivers who have really stepped up for Tennessee. But that connection that Hendon Hooker has with Cedric Tillman is second to none. And we saw that on the road against Pitt when he trusts him in overtime to be able to make a play on the football when he just basically looks like he threw it up for Cedric Tillman and he makes a play, game-winning touchdown. So I think LSU wins this game. I'm sticking with that pick. I think they figure some things out offensively late in this one. And even though Jaden Daniels has that banged-up knee, I think you can throw on this team. Anthony Richardson showed us that when you are able to roll out of the pocket and keep some of these plays alive, Guys can spring open, and Tennessee has had a difficult time being able to cover those receivers for five, six seconds, and I think that could be the case as long as Jaden Daniels keeps his eyes upfield and stays behind the line of scrimmage. He had the players-only meeting. He talked about needing to do that and needing to take more chances. I think this is finally when that clicks, and we see Kayshawn Booty. We see Jack Bash get more involved, and LSU wins a game against a really good Tennessee team. Let's go over to the Big 12. It's 2022. And the two best teams in the conference are from the state of Kansas. And, Ocl- and Oklahoma and Texas are going to play a Red River shootout as a pair of unranked teams that are struggling in conference play. Uh, I did not anticipate this with the Big 12 this year. No, I can't say I did. As somebody that had Oklahoma in the college football playoffs, uh, I've, I've taken the L on that one. Absolutely have. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been rough. And to, to see a Brent Venables defense struggle like this, it just feels weird. It's, it's really, really strange considering what he did year in, year out at Clemson. I mean, the guy did nothing but crank out top ten defenses there. And you look at this situation with the two premier programs in that conference, you kind of say, man, is the league the league has finally caught up to them. I mean, it did last year. We had the thrilling Big 12 championship with Baylor and Oklahoma State, yeah. one of the games of the year in college football. And you're looking at it this year saying, wow, the state of Kansas. I mean, they're hosting college game day in Lawrence, Kansas, instead of going to Oklahoma and Texas. It's really unbelievable to think about. And then Kansas State with Adrian Martinez, who spent roughly – 25 years at Nebraska, <laughs> he's finally getting to do his thing at Kansas State. He is teaming up with Deuce Vaughn, and it's a really fun duo, even though, you know, from a passing game perspective, it's really not anything to write home about. But, yeah, it's wild to see these power dynamics play out in what could be the last year of the Big 12 as we know it. We know that all these teams are coming into the Big 12, and maybe, perhaps, Oklahoma and Texas are on their way out, not next year, but maybe the year after that. Who knows? We'll kind of wait and see. But it's a really fascinating league. You can make the you can make the argument that from top to bottom, it's probably the most entertaining league this year. Connor, I'll get you out of here with this because I think you can give some insight on this. We have another year of all these buyouts and coaches getting the door. And I understand Scott Frost and I can maybe even understand Herm Edwards, even though I, I'm, it makes me feel, I don't know, icky that his own staff members were leaking information to other teams and to the media. I, I, I don't like that. Uh, the Wisconsin thing, I, that's a good coach who's had good seasons. And I know they're down, but it just feels like athletic directors right now are far quicker to pull a trigger and just pay a guy $20 million not to coach there anymore and do it uh, literally a month into the season. Uh, what do you make of that? 
the stakes have never been higher, and the reward for winning has never been greater. And I think that even at a place like Wisconsin, where you're right, I mean, you've seen the side-by-side of, of his record compared to, to Jim Harbaugh's record, and Paul Chris has been, he's been a good coach. He's been very overrated as an offensive mind, and if you look at the offensive numbers without Jonathan Taylor, um, it's been really bad it's for bad. Wisconsin, and the optics are terrible. I mean, it's the, that's what a lot of this comes down to. You look at the way that that stadium is just empty for a game against Brett Bielema, your former coach in Illinois, and you're just getting whipped by them. I mean, that just cannot happen. And so this is this is about this is more than just the record. It's about the trajectory of the program and where you think you're going to be capable of going. And everybody's trying to jockey for a position in this new TV rights era wherein players in the latter half of the decade, they're going to be paid and they're going to be compensated. And if you don't have a team that is worth the price of admission, which that's a big deal right now with declining attendance in college football and trying to make sure you're not losing money there, then you got to find somebody who can bring in that brand of football. And Wisconsin hit that breaking point with, with, with what Paul Chris has really been struggling with, not just this year, not just last year, but even 2020. I mean, yeah. they've been bad. This is the third year in a row that they have not been good. And so now you look at this team and you look at all these other teams that are paying these buyouts and you're like, well, that's the going rate. And if you have these foundations that are willing to come up with eight figures to cover it, then so be it. And we're going to see that continue. I mean, we've already seen five coaches fired at the power five level and we're not even into the second weekend of October and that's only going to continue. And I think we're going to see some extraordinary numbers that are going to be paid. And I think this is just the beginning of this. The money in college football is absolutely just stupid. It just it just is. And, yeah, and we talk about five guys gone, and we haven't even talked about the Auburn coach, who we know is probably right. going to be gone. Uh, Connor, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing with Saturday Down South, my friend. Appreciate your time and enjoy the weekend. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize that poll question of the day, and get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh, the 13th gate. You want to get scared? You want to tremble with fear? And you want to do so without having to wait in line? Well, listen up. It's time to face your worst nightmares with the game's 13th gate giveaway. We have your VIP tickets for the legendary Haunted House attraction. That way you can scream over and over again while others have to wait in line. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win a pair of VIP tickets to the 13th gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions in the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I want to take a moment to thank our guests for making today's edition of RP3 and Company tremendous. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. Les East from Crescent City Sports and Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. Not to worry, Coach Gary Golf will rejoin us for his weekly interview next week. They're on the bye. He'll be back on next week as they prepare for their conference home opener against Texas A&M Commerce. Final results of the poll question of the day. Which Major League Baseball wildcard matchup is the most exciting? 49% of you say Mariners at Blue Jays. 24% say Padres at Mets. 22% say Phillies at Cardinals, and 5% of you say the Rays at the Guardians. Thank you for all who voted on the poll question of the day and left your comments. That's going to do it for us. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. I'm Raymond Parch III. 
We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.